Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Revelation, the 19th chapter. Revelation, the 19th chapter. We've been in a section, and it continues, that is glorious, beautiful, beyond imagination. And uh, it's a little reprieve from all the heaviness of God's wrath and the wrath of the Lamb being poured out. So I'm thankful for this. Very grateful for this word to us today. Revelation 19, 7 through 10. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the revelation of Jesus Christ that is before us. We're thankful that you have given us a glimpse into our future that is so glorious, so bright, and that helps us through the challenges that we face in these days. And they are many. Father, I think of this last week and all that's happened and some of the things your people have faced and some of the things that this nation is facing. And we need you, and we're thankful to look to you, and we're grateful that you are reigning and that you're in control. And we want to remember that, Lord. We, do, we just do. And so I, as we think about that and think about this word today, I would ask, uh, first I want to thank you for those that have come, those that are online, those that will be picking this up later. I thank you that they want to hear your word. And so we praise you for that. And I ask, Father, that you would give them your word today. Help me as I proclaim uh, the listener and myself as we respond. I pray that this word would be all it's intended to be. And that you would help us. That we would hear from you. And if there would happen to be somebody here today who has yet to trust Christ as Savior, that today they might know this great hope that we have, this glorious future. And I pray that your spirit would move now, in Jesus' name, amen. God in eternity past planned to rescue mankind. That was his plan. That's what he did. He rescued and has rescued the fallen, the desperate, the broken. That's God's heart. At a specific place foretold by the scripture, and he keeps his word. You need to remember that. In a specific time, God sent his son in order to save sinners. That's what we're told in Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law, that, he might, that we might receive the adoption as sons. It's an incredible act of grace. Uh, an incredible act of love and mercy whereby Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, took on a body that he might bear the sins of the world and redeem anyone and everyone who would place their faith in him, who would trust him as Savior. 
As such, we've received the adoption into the family of God, having been justified by faith. That's what we have in Christ. We possess an inheritance. I want you to know that. We possess an inheritance because we are believers that is imperishable, undefiled. It will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved by the power of God. 1 Peter 1.4 not only do we have an inheritance in heaven, we also are pictured as the bride of Christ. That's how God sees us. We are the bride of Christ who he will present, Jesus will present to himself without spot or stain, perfectly sanctified and holy. One day he will do that. I look forward to that day. Today we get to peer into that event. We get to see it. In this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. All this to say that our future couldn't be brighter. Listen to me. Our future couldn't be brighter or more hope-filled than it is today. No matter what goes on out there, outside our walls, no matter what we face as a nation, as a community, as a state, our, heart, our, our future couldn't be brighter. Believe, believers have a glorious future full of hope in Jesus. Our best days are truly ahead of this uh, ahead of us. I've said that many times. But the fact should that fact should fill us with hope. And I believe we can have great days now because of the hope that is set before us Amen. in the future. In today's text we note the praise, the wedding and the correction. I want to begin with the praise. Now, I just want to back up a little bit because last week we had those first six verses are just vital. There's this, uh, this hallelujah, this threefold hallelujah in heaven. I want to just read that, then I'll get verse seven, verse 1 of chapter 19. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Chapter 17 and 18 were about the judgment of the great harlot um, Babylon. And after these things, John said, I heard it. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. A second time, they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. You have this heavenly chorus, and they are praising God for his judgments. The 24 elders, verse 4, and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sits on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to, to our God, all you his bond servants, and you who fear him, the small and the great. And you have this tremendous worship scene in heaven. Verse 6, I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. So you have this praise going on in heaven because of the judgments that have been wrought and the timing and so forth of it. And, and God's people are saying, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then in verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The praise. Last week, there was that threefold hallelujah that we saw. And, and here it says we are to rejoice. That's a call to action. That's a call to action in heaven to all of God's people. 
And all those there rejoice, and rejoice, is, it's ecstatic joy. It's delight. It means to rejoice exceedingly. Uh, the word to us via the angel is to rejoice, to praise the Lord. And in that day, we will praise him. Uh, we will have gotten rid of any desire to do anything ungodly. We will stand before him perfectly whole. And uh, I said this last week, these are phrases that we're going to say in heaven. We're going to say this, uh, like when it end, ended there in, in verse 6, Hallelujah for the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. We're going to be worshiping together. The church and all the saints of, of old will be there in, in, in shoulder to shoulder, praising God in this ecstatic joy. The, by the way, this is the right response and proper response to the Lord, always. The Apostle Paul, a man who knew trouble, a man who knew difficulty, a man who knew what it was like to be incarcerated for the gospel, writes this prison epistle, and in it he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That has to be the heart of God's people to our great God, because he is in control Always, he reigns and rules and has a plan. And we, as his people, having experienced this great salvation, we need to rejoice. I don't know about you in this past week, but I want to ask you, did you find yourself doing just this? Was your heart moved toward God? Or was it on the circumstances that seemed to always come, where they're not always good and, and, and not always a delight, or was it to the Lord, and, uh, and you have reason to. You've been forgiven as a Christian. You've been sealed uh, by the Holy Spirit and dwelled by the Holy Spirit. You have a great and glorious future, and it needs to impact you here and now. This isn't just about knowing something that's going to happen in the future. It needs to impact us here and now. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Uh, he says here, rejoice, verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad, be glad. That's the attitude. That's to accompany our praise. The action, giving praise. The attitude, be glad. It means to be happy or to be well off. This is where our hearts need to be in this moment. The rejoicing that we will be involved in in heaven one day, we've seen what it will be like, and we will be glad. We will be uh, uh happy in those moments. Uh, I'll remind you, we'll be uninhibited in our worship, in our praise, in our gladness. We will see him face to face. We will have a great understanding. So what about today, brother, sister? What about today? How should our lives be lived out? Well, they need to be lived for the glory of the Lord. And we need to count our blessings. We do. Do you know him? If you know him, you're one of the few Many, many don't. Many go the broad path. But few know him. If you know him, never get over the fact that he gloriously has saved you. Praise his name. Praise his name. And finally, give him glory. That's what we see here. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. Give glory to him. That's what we need to do as we stand before him. And around the throne that one day, it's not going to be because we were exceptional people. It's not going to be that 
God was lucky to know us. It's not going to be that at all. Uh, We are desperate sinners, and we're in need of a Savior. He sent his Son, and his Spirit opened our eyes through the Word of God and through witness, and we saw our need. And we came to faith in Christ. Who deserves the glory? God does. I had nothing to offer him except filthy rags righteousness. That's it. Filthy rags righteousness is all I had to offer him. And he and his grace saved me. Reached down and saved me. Glory to God. Uh, When we're there that one day, I think we're going to get this much better. Glory to God. Can't believe it. Praise his name. It's because of his grace. We're saved by grace, and we continue to experience his grace day by day as we walk by faith. And there's only one who deserves the credit for our citizenship in this place, and that is God alone. Sure, he's used others to bring us to faith, his word, and so forth, but God deserves the glory. And that should be true in everything in our lives, not just our salvation. Uh, we uh, did you did you whatever you were able to do this week i hope you turned around and said thanks god if you were able to work a job and be a blessing to someone glory to god Amen. glory to god able to fix something no one else could fix who deserves the credit who gave you your mind and your hands and your ability glory to god Amen. glory to god that's it so through faith we're redeemed We've been released to the penalty of our sin. Jesus died and rose again, never to die again. He's the focal point of our redemption. Glory to God. Glory to God. Give him glory. Our next breath is in his hands. It's in his hands. Uh, Got up out of bed today. Uh, Believe I'm able to function. I think I'm in my right mind, as far as I know. (laughs) Don't tell me any different. (laughs) But glory to God, right? Glory to God. I deserve uh, so much less, and he's given me so much grace. Give glory to him. Give glory to him. We need to always do that. This can be tough for preachers, you know, especially preachers. Great sermon, Pastor. You're doggone right. I worked on that thing for two weeks. No, glory to God. What, What a great word that we have to proclaim. Glory to God. Then we move from the praise, which should be to God alone, to the wedding. And this is the focal point, really, of this little section, is, is a consummation of the a bride and the bridegroom. Look at the last part of verse 7. And I, I want to read that right through verse 10. <clears throat> so we have that glory to him. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself and find linen bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words. Then I fell at his feet and worshipped. I'll stop right there. We have this wedding. You see the bride there. It says, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. These are church age of grace believers, all who have come to faith in Christ since the events in Acts 2, where Peter preaches that powerful sermon, and 3,000 souls are, cha- are, 
are, are saved and the church is birthed on that day. Now the relationship between the Lord, our Lord Jesus, and his church is equated to that of the marriage relationship, bride and bridegroom. 2 Corinthians 11.2 says this, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. And in Ephesians 5, that great chapter on, on marriage and so forth, and the analogy here is to Christ and the church. Ephesians 5.26 and 27, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. Make note of that. If you don't have this verse marked in your Bible, I've got it underlined. I can't wait for that day when Jesus presents to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And then again in verse 32, the mystery is great. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to what? Christ and the church. The bridegroom, Christ, and the bride, the church. We are the church, we're the bride of Christ, and one day he will present us to himself perfectly perfect. But today, the church, she has a bit of this, doesn't she? Spot and wrinkle. Spot, and it's not talking about wrinkles of the skin. It's spiritually speaking. We have spots and wrinkles. We're, uh, we're not yet perfect. We're in process of growing, being sanctified by the word of God, by the spirit of God, by things that happen around us and the challenges of life. God is working all that to make us to become more like Jesus. But today, the church has spots and wrinkles, and we are not yet perfectly, perfectly whole positionally God sees us as perfect clothed with the righteousness of Christ but practically the outworking of that hey we can be difficult to get along with we've got our spots we've got our wrinkles uh, yet she is the, the church is the focal point of of redemptive history um, it, it's the focal point of his work on earth right now the cross and Christ and he's still calling out a people for his own name. People are still getting saved today. Do you realize that? People are still getting saved today. It's an amazing thing. Acts 15, 14 tells us basically, or mostly, among the Gentiles. But he's still growing the saints. Uh, and, and his bride is here, the church. She's still shining the light of Christ across the globe. As imperfect as she is. Friends, the church is so important. It is the big deal right now in God's redemptive history. And so, you know, we want to be doing all that we can do as long as we can do for the glory of the Lord. It's a big deal, the church is. I, I believe it is the tip of the spear uh, for, for our nation and for the world and, and for souls. But you'll notice it says here in, in chapter 19, verse Verse 7, that she has made herself ready. She has made herself ready. You might be saying, well, what, what's that all about? I, I, I thought um, that we came to Christ in need, and how could we make, how can she make herself ready and clothe herself in fine linen? Verse 8, bright and clean. The linen is the righteous acts of the saints. What's, what exactly is this? Well, just to be sure, 
we understand Isaiah 64, 6, it's, it's um, our righteousness is as what? Filthy wag, rags. That's what, it, that's what it is. And we must be given something then to be made right in the, in the presence of God and before God. And that is a righteousness not of our own. It's the righteousness of Christ. Philippians 3, 9, be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That is the imputed righteousness given to the sinner who believes, who trusts Christ, and, and Christ's righteousness is placed on, on him. So we, we understand that. We know that, that we are made righteous before God through faith in Christ. The moment of salvation, we are given or imputed with the righteousness of Jesus. That is true. However, here it says she has made herself ready. How did this happen? Well, I, I'll tell you what I believe is, is going on here. When Jesus comes to take his bride to heaven, an event we refer to as the rapture, we are caught up to meet him in the air. This is uh, immediately followed by the tribulation period. In our study of Revelation, we, we've seen that. We're in, by the way, the end of this, at the end of the tribulation period now. But the church has been in heaven since the tribulation period began. And right after the rapture, the bride of Christ will stand before him. Listen closely. We will stand before him at the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. There's a couple judgments in the Bible that you really want to pay attention to. For the believer, it's the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. That's found in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5. Now, in chapter 20, there's the great white throne judgment. And the only ones that will be there are those that are going to spend eternity in a place called the lake of fire. The books are open to prove that what they're getting is a righteous judgment of what they deserve. Believers are exempted from that. But we do stand before the Lord one day. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. God gives you and I the enablement to live for him, to do what he's called us to do. Ephesians 2.10 says there are good deeds that are set aside for us to enter into. And so we will give an account that day, I believe, and this is a judgment of reward. The question isn't, we're, are, you going to be make, are you going to make it into heaven? That's not the question on that day. So right now, how we conduct ourselves is a big deal, especially how we conduct ourselves with other believers, our brothers, our sisters, those in the body of Christ who, is, who are the bride of Christ. So we'll stand before him one day. I believe those rewards will, and by the way, they're all by his grace as we yield to him, allow him to work through us and live for him and serve him and serve others and so forth. There's rewards that go with that. But the Lord will examine our lives and give to us rewards. That's These, I believe, are these the, the bright and clean, the linen that is the righteous acts of the faith. faith. They've, standed, they've withstood the test before the Lord. And she now is pure and clean, standing before him. Spot and wrinkles are gone. And our Lord presents himself, uh, in, or we pre he presents us to himself. Verse 9, then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said to me, these are true words of God. And what he's talking about here is, is the body of Christ coming together, and there's this great uh, 
wedding that takes place in heaven, the consummation of it there that's pictured before us. It's the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. I've got some slides here. I'm going to try to get them right. They are from, uh, I, I borrowed them from a, uh, a pastor in Texas, had them on his PowerPoint. He got them from Rennie Showers, uh, Rennie Showers' book, Maranatha. Some of you have read that book or studied that book. Oh, I don't know if it's going to be big enough. Can you see it? Let's just watch. A Jewish wedding, very different than what we do, although there's similarities. And uh, you have the, the, the step there, the marriage covenant, the groom initiates it. It's established upon payment for the bride, and they drink the same cup. Um, in a Jewish wedding, the uh, groom, the eventual groom, leaves his father's house, goes to wherever he's going to find his bride, to that house, and he, he um, initiates that, that marriage covenant, and he has to pay a price for his bride. Pastor West got out of that one with, with my daughter, but I'm still waiting. I'm not sure we shouldn't go back to this. But he's a preacher. He's a poor preacher. He's got nothing anyway. But the, the analogy here is to the church. Christ initiated this, this relationship we have here. He initiated it, and it's through his, his, through his death, his sacrificial death. The bride is set apart. Uh, that's step two in this Jewish marriage analogy. She's set apart exclusively, exclusively for the groom, for him alone. That's the church positionally sanctified, set apart for Christ and Christ alone. Third, the bridal chamber is prepared. The groom separates from the bride, returns to his father's house to prepare that bridal chamber. That's what he does. Of course, we know Christ's 2,000-year separation from the church. Remember what Jesus said in John 14, 2, I go to prepare a place for you. That's what he's doing. He's set apart in that way. Um, a third step, betrothal period. It's a, you might think of it as a loyalty test. This is where um, Joseph struggled with Mary because they're seen as being married when that covenant begins. And he believed for a bit that she failed that loyalty test. She was found to be with child. Reward determined by orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Um, solid, what you believe and what you practice, James 4.4. 4. This is the meantime for us. The bride retrieved. Groom uh, returns at an unknown time, uh, preceded by a shout with escorts to retrieve the bride. That's what happens in a Jewish wedding. And so John is, you know, we, we see these pictures in the New Testament, and John's writing about this, but the rapture at an unknown time, right? We don't know. We're still looking. We're waiting for that shout, for the trumpet to sound. The dead in Christ will rise first. He'll come retrieve his bride. And then you have the bride and groom hidden in the Father's house for seven days. Hidden in the Father's house for seven days, three events transpire, transpire in the Jewish marriage. Church is hidden from the world during Daniel's 70th week. The bride is cleansed. Uh, that's the next step in the Jewish marriage. The bride undergoes, undergoes ritual cleansing prior to wedding ceremony. And that is the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Then you have the wedding that occurs. A meeting with the Father's assembled guest, private wedding, meeting with the Old Testament saints. It says in this text, blessed are those who are invited those invited are the Old Testament saints. They're not the church. 
we are separate. We're going to spend eternity together, but um, we're not exactly the same. And then consummation, the bride and groom consummate the marriage. Ephesians 5.27, he presents us to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Marriage feast, uh, guess how long these, these things would last sometimes a week. I don't know how long it's going to last in heaven. I'm not sure of that, but you have that in Colossians 3, uh, 3 and 4, Revelation 19.9, where we're at now. That, may, that just helps you with this analogy a little bit because it is Jewish in background. And so uh, the blessed there, they're the, the, um, the Old Testament saints. This word blessed, getting back to our text here, this word blessed, there's seven beatitudes or seven blessings in, in Revelation, and they are uh, chapters 1, 3, 14, 13, you see them there. Those are all the areas where these seven beatitudes take place. Blessed means happy. Happy are those who get this invite. Now, what a day that'll be. So here we are as the church, and oh, Noah's going to be there, and, and Job, and Moses, and Aaron. Uh, on and on it goes. Esther, and Ruth, and Naomi. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be serving us. I don't know. We're all there, though. And we're all part of this grand uh, uh, marriage uh, consummation and feast and so forth. I, and I, I sometimes wonder, well, what, what will we eat? I, I'm not sure. So everyone's, in, you know, we're, this is going on. We're going we're gonna to be surrounded. What a, what a moment in time. And at this point, what John wrote in 1 John 3, 2 will come to pass. Beloved, we are now children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when, we, when he appears, we will be like him because we'll see him just as he is face to face. We'll see him. What a day. What a day. This is your future. If you're in Christ, this is your future. And the truth there, he's reminded of that again. Verse 9, he said to me, these are true words of God. Stand on this. Find rest in this. Uh, let this impact you. So here we have this great man of God receiving this revelation. And um, you will see in the scripture at times uh, that man gets painted warts and all, and he doesn't always do what he should be doing. Look what happens in verse 10. John says, then I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, you have the correction here. It's needed. Needed. Uh, John's so overcome, I believe, with what he's seen, what, what, what he's being told, what he's writing down. He's told to write that he, he falls at the feet of this angel and desires to worship him. He gets a rebuke here. This rebuke is from the angel who's representing the Lord. And this isn't the only time it happens. It happens in 22, chapter 22, verse 9 as well. What does this tell us? Well, you know, these great men of God, uh, while we are not yet made perfect, we can do some foolish things. And yet there's grace for us to move forward and to see it as it ought to be. And I believe uh, John gets it, and he, it, he gets back up, and he, he doesn't give him uh, the worship there. But see, for all of us, when we fail the Lord, there's a way and a path forward. And let's not forget that. The same writer wrote in 1 John 1, 9, he warned, this is what John warned, 
1 John 5.21, little children, guard yourselves from idols. To worship anything other than God is an idol. John finds himself doing the same thing. But he also wrote this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that's the path we, we have to take when we've sinned. Let's call it what it is because if we call it sin, well, there's, there's a remedy, right? The cross of Christ, forgiveness. If it's, we call it something else, well, where do you go with that? Bad decision, whatever. I can be forgiven, and I can be free to go on. And finally, worship God. Not an angel, not something else, not someone else. God alone. God alone. What grace is there for the apostle and for us as well. It finishes with the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Jesus was proclaimed prophetically as the Messiah he came. And we know he's coming again. We know the rapture's uh, uh, just around the corner. That's that prophetic word. Let me wrap this up. For you and I, there's going to be a presentation. The church's bride will be there. When Jesus comes to get her, and he will one day present us to himself. Friends, there are some things that we want to remember in these difficult days. The church is still going to be surrounded by its enemies, but it will still be shining the light of Christ when he comes. When he comes, it will. There are things that endure. The church will endure. You know, we may get all these things going on around us. We think, well, what's going to happen? Well, we don't know. But I know this, the church will be here. When Jesus comes for his bride, the church will be here. It's important. And we need to do, be doing the things that we're called to do. Uh, I believe marriage is going to last until Christ comes. Giving and taking uh, of each other, there's going to be marriage. When those things are going to last, our our uh, our society has redefined it, but the family and marriage, the church, they're going to last. They're going to last. The word of God is forever. It'll be here when Jesus comes. There'll be people being saved when Jesus comes. The church is still going to be doing its work. There's still going to be those coming into the kingdom. Those things are going to last. And so I hope those are good, good words for you. And finally, we know what the future holds, don't we? It's glorious. We have a great future. We do. In Christ, we have a sure and glorious future. Let that roll over everything you face this week, all that's going on. Let this truth speak to that. We have a great hope. For the believer, it's hope. We have a great future. We have a great Savior. He's risen, He's alive. And because he's alive, I'll tell you, we're okay. Stand beside him one day. Look to him and worship. Let's pray. Loving Father, I, I pray that our lives will reflect the truth that is here. We can be discouraged and downhearted. We need not to be. Help us to look and keep looking to Jesus be, because really our future is as bright as the midday sun. And we give you praise. And I pray that, Father, that our lives truly will reflect the position that we have in the future that is ours. Bless your people. Use them powerfully, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.